0: Welcome to season one, episode two of our Faith in Al podcast. Uh, this is uh, Don Orico, and I am joined by Kevin Becker, who is our second speaker of the season down here in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, and before we get started, I just wanted to start, start with a prayer and, and bless our our conversation in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, we ask that you bless our our, ch- our talk. Bless um, Kevin. In his ministry and in his travels around the world, and in spreading his story, we ask that you bless all those involved with our faith and nail apostolate. And you ask that we ask that whomever listens to this is touched by his story and is inspired to grow in their faith. Amen. Well, Kevin, great, great, great to have you join us down here in Florida. And um, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are today. Um, what you're doing up in up in the New York area, and um, you know what brings you down here?
1: Right, well, I'm 28 years old. Um, I've recently just uh, opened up a company with my cousin, also named Kevin. Okay. We do um, small business consulting. You know, right. We help, we help out small businesses. You know, perform better. Um, we also help them provide them with you know money if needed or any sort of financial help. Okay. And then um, also you know. Um, I, I, I'm down here tonight to, uh, to spread a story, yeah, gift that I have, and um, you know, spread the spread the faith, you know, and um, that's what, that's what brings me down here tonight. So t- t- take us back to that story that brings you down here. Um, college student, yep. Where were you going to school? I was going to East Stroudsburg State University. It's uh, located in Pennsylvania.
0: Okay, and you you were an athlete there. You, you, you went there to play soccer, was, and then
1: eventually lacrosse. That... I was event. I was the goal was to play soccer there. Uh, I was oddly enough, um, before I transferred there, I played two years of soccer at a community college. But before I went to that community college, I was actually recruited to play soccer at East Stroudsburg. Um, I figured that I could possibly be better. It's a T two school, but I figured that I might be able to do better played two years at Nassau, um, you know, for, you know, playing play went, play, you know, went to a very good community college. And then um, eventually, you know, got recruited by them again, um, was going to go there to be a walk-on possibly. And then when, you know, I saw the, the coach, you know, met with the coaches, met with the team, um, just didn't think it was for me, and I decided not to uh, play soccer there. And then eventually, um, I met a few guys that played lacrosse, and mm-hmm. I'm gone to play. Public calls for not each other, and it was a great time. How important growing up with sports
0: in your life, in terms of um, just physical activity, but also camaraderie, um, getting along with other guys, developing friendships. How, how important was that
1: for your for your upbringing? Uh, it was. You know um, it's a funny thing that my dad used to, um, I mean, precisely put into words. Um, There's five. There's like five prayers. There's God. Family, friends, school, sports, 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 sports. Like sports, 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 sports. So literally, sports was you know, oh, you know, was always important. Uh, when I was younger, I was you know, I played soccer, basketball, baseball, and then eventually started playing with Russell. It was a part of my you know my daily life for my my whole life, and actually. My really good friend who I played soccer with is still, you know, I'm still best friend with him, you know, 20, you know 20 years later. So. That's great. So, you know, it's, I think it's like, you know, to me, to this day, being some form of physically active is really, really important. Yeah. You know? um, so sports
0: brought you to East Stroudsburg uh, yeah. State, and um, you obviously are settling in, you know, on campus, and you move into a house,
1: and... Um, you know, tell us about where you were, you were living at the time. Well, my uh, first year, uh, so I transferred my first year. I should have done better when I was talking about this at the speech. Uh, my first year, I lived like on do- in a dorm. Okay. And my second year, my senior, so I got here my senior year. Um, that's why I moved into an off-campus house. So I had already attended a for one year. I played lacrosse for one year. And, you know, me and two other guys, you know, we decided that we would like to live in an off-campus house. So the first... Right. First year moving in was, uh, you know, I'll be quite honest. When I went to that school, I kind of like wanted to like just be, you know, to be my own person. Yeah. And then you know I meet a couple of guys that you know meet a team, meet, meet a new family. You sure. know, and They 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 really took me in as like a brother. And next thing on, you know, I um, me two guys, you know, my two friends Nick and Joe. Um, falling year, you know, we're moving into a house, and you know, I can, like I guess, you know, we were really, really excited that, you know, moving into that school year, how, how exciting of a year that was going to be, and, you know, and all, you know, everybody that was involved with my head injury, you know, it was like, you know, when I got hurt, it was, you know, besides my family being at the hospital every single day, like, every single day, my, my teammates, and my friends, like, even people that weren't, you know, guys in the lacrosse and just friends of ours. We're at the hospital. I was hoping for you know this, something to happen. Sure. You know a lot of people were you know saying this is impossible. You know he's in, you know just fine and everything like that. But you know they, they knew the worst. But you know my life there was awesome. You know, I would never you know take it back. You know even this, this whole event itself I would never take back. I think you know it's guided me in a different direction, which sometimes we all need. And how old were? How old were you when this happened? I was uh, just I had just turned 21. So well, was, where would
0: you say your your faith was at? 21 years old, I've been there. I was a young guy, you know, fraternity and the way at school. I know the challenges that come, temptations, the challenges that come. Trying to be a Catholic man away, away from home at college. Talk about where
1: your, where your faith was as a 21 year old male at college. Well, um, it was, you know, it's pretty strong at that time. Um, My parents laid down a really good foundation for us when we were growing up. Um, You know, we, I don't, you know. You went to church every you know, I can tell you when I was a little kid I was going to church every single Sunday, even though I couldn't stand going to church every single Sunday. I wouldn't <laughs> lie to anybody, I would not go I did not want to go but I had to go. And, you know, I I kinda stuck you know, stuck with it. Um, in college I never really doubted, you know, anything. I was still you know, I would go to I wouldn't say I made every single Sunday mass, but I definitely made a good like at least eighty to eighty five percent. So my faith was really there. It was still pretty strong. Um, I think I just, it took like a different, you know, when I was in East Strasbourg, when I got to that point, you know, I was kind of, you know, still focused on my faith, you know, and then when my grandmother was diagnosed with stage one can you know, stage four one cancer on, on my birthday, that's when I really decided that it's, it's time to pick, you know, pick it up, you know, start mm. really sh- change the devotion a little bit more make it more centered because I love my, you know, nobody wants to see a loved one go and, um, you know, I changed my devote You know, made my devotion, and start. You know, wasn't doubting the power of God. but I was definitely. You know, wasn't afraid to challenge. You know, ask some questions, challenge. You know, mm-hmm. saying like, you, you know, if you're this Almighty God, and then why are you doing this to my grandmother? She did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's. You know, uh, it was. Everything was growing, and then you know, the, you know this this whole uh, incident happened, and here we are. So, talk about the discipline of being an
0: athlete and how that played a role perhaps in your faith, your faith formation and going deeper into your faith. Obviously to be a college level athlete, NCAA athlete, you have to be dedicated in terms of your training, your um, your regiments, um, practice, uh, staying in great shape. But that's also an analogy for our faith in terms of staying daily prayer and um, staying out of mortal sin and going to mass and having devotions talk about how maybe
1: sports played a role in also growing your faith Well, uh, I mean this is pretty ironic is, um, my faith, I think my faith was better than my athletics like my practice in athlete being an athlete and stuff um, I was I like to live off the fact that I had like a god-given talent so mm-hmm. while other kids struggled doing something that I you know I was athletic I you know I worked out as much as I could but I wouldn't say I know work out as much I think I was actually more, you know going to church I actually went to church probably more than I would work out sometimes but before I guess when I before I went to you know I seen, you know my year my first year at East Strasbourg before I got hurt I was actually probably in the best physical shape of my life before my head injury mm. but that might people look differently now so I think now I'm much better in shape but um, overall, I mean, physically, you know, I, was, I, had, I did have a regiment, you know, I was always in better, I, I could run a mile, you know, faster than anybody when I was in high school, or college. Um, but my faith was always probably stronger than, mm-hmm. like, my athletic, um, responsibility.
0: So, now walk us through, obviously, the, the day that you ultimately suffered this traumatic brain injury. Um, you know, what happened? From what you can remember,
1: what happened? All right. Well, um... At that point, we were, we were all moved in. Um, we had planned to have you know a get a get together, friend, you know friends only, teammates, friends, and uh, any you know. At that point, it was moving in day, so freshmen were also up. So any freshmen that we had either spoken with on Facebook yeah. or we had you know jumped into bumped into during moving day, we you know we had them over so they could you know introduce themselves, see if, you know if they were fit. Uh, also, we were supposed, you know, at that point, the only thing in our house that we, we still didn't have heat yet, but it was summertime. We have water. And we were just waiting on the uh, cable to be put mm-hmm. in. So at that point in the day, the mo- our main focus was just getting the cable set up. <laughs> um, you know, at that point, that for some reason, you know, when they got there, they, they couldn't get the cable wires lined up. So I did go on the earlier in the day to you know, cut you know, cut some branches to right. make life easier. And then, you know, we um, I you know, I got a pretty good memory from that day. Oh that was the day it went over, you know it, we had, you know, once, you know, beer sugar, got some beers, I got you know, got myself some scotch. And then next thing you know it the day, you know, at eleven thirty my parents, you know, it's a normal day and at eleven thirty at night, it's not a normal day for anybody. So it's wow. a totally different day. And you have no recollection of how you ended up on the roof and how you fell off? No recollection whatsoever. Nothing. And you know, I I prayed to see if maybe God would give me that that like that moment back just to see what happened, but I think it's better to slept on you know unseen. You know, maybe we yeah. do you know something we don't need to see.
0: And where and where did you fall? You fell um,
1: on the concrete or the yeah, well, grass or my, my front yard was a um, very weird front yard. Um, it's like the roof kinda like I fell off of, like kind of hung over my front yard. So like, and my front yard was like kind of raised. So it was like, front yard was raised a couple feet and then there was like a sidewalk. But like at the end, of like the, the front yard, like the grass cut off, there was, like a, a cement, like this block, as you say. It was, like, mm-hmm. And then, you know, the couple feet drop off and then there was concrete. So from what, you know, what we're thinking is that when I fell off the roof, I hit the back of my head on the cement, not the sidewalk, but the cement. I hit the back of my head on the cement, and the rest of my body must have hit the grass because the only injury that I did, you know, end up with was just a really, really bad head injury. There was no broken. Mm-hmm. I didn't break any bones. No ankle, enough Just my head, wow. and that's about it. And who discovered you? Uh, my, my friend Brian Bublis, who was um about to leave the house. he was going going back to his um. His off campus house mm-hmm. had discovered me and at first he just, you know, he didn't, you know, he went over. He, you know, he just tried to like wake me up and he saw, he saw blood on the concrete and then he went inside, he called, you know, he went inside, told everybody um, and they called 911. You know, the they say like, hey, if he had found, didn't find me any earlier, I would have died. So I kinda like, kind of like a godsend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also the other miracle behind it was the fact that, like none of them touched me. You know, like, when I was la- when I was laying down there lifeless, they didn't touch me. They waited for the paramedics to get there to do what they had to do. So like, a lot of things, you know, a lot of uh, uh re- you yeah. know, circumstances, you know, got you know, divine events happened sure. even leading up to you know, the more divine. And where were your parents living at the time? Uh, they were, were living at my uh, house in uh remember New York, five seven nine. Okay. And at that time, they were um, they were both at the house after you know a long stressful day yeah. between um, my mom's brother being in the hospital, my mom's mother being in the hospital. So at that point, they were um, they were kind of spent, and then you know the obviously the last thing they needed was another accident, and uh, you know they were at, at the house, you no know, you know expecting you know nothing, you know they were, yeah. A lot of battles.
0: How many hours later are they at the hospital with you? They were
1: there. I think Oh, well, see, they got the phone call at 30, and then they got another phone call around like 12, you know, around a little bit later, but from the doctors. And the doctor told my parents, like, you know, you know the extent—not the full extent of the injuries—but a good amount. And my parents told that, you know, I asked like, to my my kids need to go there. And that's when he said yes. We're not, you know, we're not sure if he's going to make it. At this point, this is like when I'm being transferred to the next hospital. Wow. So this is the the phone call from the first doctor, he said that we're not sure if he's going to make it over via trans, you know, by transit. Mm-hmm. So that at that point, so they had the phone call, and they were pretty much. I think they got there maybe a little bit after I got there. Yeah. And when they got there, they they were notified that I was stabilized, but they were like a, a one surgical. You know one surgery was going to be needed to um, you know, help me out and if i wasn't done you know the the chances of me you know either way i was in very, very 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 yeah. Yeah. Um. you your injury caused you to fall into a coma
0: what do you remember obviously other than the interaction we're going to talk about but what, what do you remember from being in, in inside the coma people always interested in yeah. wanting to know about coma victims and you know what they're
1: experiencing why they're while they're you know how cold but well um i remember you know i remember being with an angel um i remember being in my college house which is odd, but it was very odd um i also you know you know remember just being like very very like in, in a lot of peace and stuff and mm. i remember having like you know so a working relationship with this angel um and you no. Know, doing schoolwork, um, building the perfect room, you know, with the perfect room being, you know, having an awesome bar in it. <laughs> and um also, you know, playing, you know, some video games at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the angel, you know, never would um, join me in this. But uh but you I also remember, you know, I like got first interaction. You know, my first interaction, you know, when I was, you know, going downstairs and hearing the you know, hearing noises and seeing this, you know, random person I've never seen before. So the life of an average college student. Yep. So at what
0: point are your? Pe- what are your parents told when they get
1: to the hospital about your condition and what your future looks like? Mm-hmm. Well, they um told you know they told my parents the what are the doc you know there's you know no they didn't really give give you hope even though they wanted to give you hope. They told them, you know, told my parents, like, there's a in very, very severe, very severely hurt. His brain's been traumatized very badly. He's, you know, his fractured his skull, you know, and, you know, he's going to be in the hospital for, he's going to be here for a very long time, and if he wakes up, he's going to be in inpatient therapy for a long time. And, you know, they, 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 you know, they said, you know, if he wakes up and he's making a recovery, he's, he might be just a little bit funnier than he was before him. And he's definitely, you know, more chances are he's going to have some form of you know cognitive you know issues and cognitive, cognitive uh, disabilities so they were they prepared my parents for for the worst outcome because they mm-hmm. you know in situations like mine you don't really get the type of you know, recovery like I got mm.
0: um, at what point I would imagine it was probably in the car right over but the,
1: your parents start praying and I would imagine they start praying like immediately um, they my mom so my brother brought his, his rosary beads my dad brought his bible my mom brought um her picture of a all way to guadalupe mm-hmm. um my little brother brought a pillow but uh, that's you <laughs> know to him pillow was his prayer he loved to sleep so <laughs> but um they were praying immediately as they're on their way there they they were, you know, were just in so much shock, and believe it or not, like when they, this, you know, it's, I always whenever I hear this story from them, you know, when they drove, you know, like, we have Google Maps, and I'm pretty sure when I got here, Google Maps is still a thing, but like when they started, they just start driving. They were in so much shock that they didn't think to stop to take down, like get directions. Like they started going, start going and stuff, and you know, they they brought, you know, they always said that they brought their fate with them, you know, <laughs> right, right from, they knew they had a new battle. They had, you know, the only way they were gonna get through this yeah. was with their faith and then that's when the phone calls start, you know, got the you know, got there and then they started making their phone calls. You know, started calling my dad one my, my dad's one sister and then she's my one my dad's sister started making her calls and her whole calls and next you thing know, you know. The faith was started almost immediately, right away.
0: You um, obviously at some point there's an intercessory prayer that begins, a novena to Pierre Giorgio Frasati, who's
1: st- who started that, and and you know where did that come from? Um, my cousin Beth, she started the novena on the fifth day of my coma. And how old was Beth at that time? I think she's like a, maybe like her mid thirties at that Okay. Time? Maybe I don't know. She's pretty young. My cousins, um, the age gap is you know there's a little gap between my older brother and them, so okay. maybe. But she's, you know, maybe mid-30s, if that. And um, she's also, she happened to be like a, a nurse, you know, in trauma care. So when she, you know, she was getting, you know, reports on how, how I was doing medically from her mom. And when she heard that, like, you know, had pneumonia, had, you know, had a fever, uh, my body was swelling up. She, re- she knew that I was, you know, on my way to, you know, I was losing the battle at that point. And that's when she had, you know, she knew it was time to start this novena for Giorgio Rosati. You, know, you know, she knew that this guy, you know, he needs an intercession, and I needed, a, you know, an intercession to even make it out of this. Um, she, was not- she was told about Giorgio through a friend of hers, <laughs> so, randomly. so she had known about him, and she started this novena on, on the fifth day of my coma. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's when her, novena, her nine-day novena started. So as she's praying through the novena, you're still in your injury, but you're
0: now starting to demonstrate some signs of some activity at some point.
1: Yeah. Um, the first the first two days, uh, day six and day seven, um, you know, things didn't get worse, but things also didn't get better. And then on the eighth day is when the, the photo of Giorgio Vasati showed up. And on the eighth and day. Who, who brought that photo to that to the hospital? Um, well my cousin Beth when her started Novena, she mailed, I guess she, from what I understand, I think she printed out the photo, okay? Printed out the photo and then mailed it, like, next day air to the hospital, uh, delivered it, my aunt gave it to my mom, then my mom put the photo next to my bed, right next to a picture of an old lady of Guadalupe, and on that day, I had opened my I opened my eyes up for the first time. And what, what day was that? That was the 8th day. Okay. And then, Day nine, day nine. I'm announced officially awake a from my coma. Then on day ten, um, I had a rest. You know, I wasn't breathing on my own. But on the tenth day, my parents walk into the hospital. Uh, the doc, you know, usually, you know, usually when the doctor comes up to you, the you know, they're, you know from my parents' perspective, usually when the doctor is coming up to them, they're ready to hear more bad news. Sure. And the doctor, you know, tells her, says a really good day. We, I took the respirator out of Kevin, he's now breathing on his own, and he asked for you guys. Wow. wow. And that's, you know, my mom was like, at that point, you know, she, my parents, everybody in the family, all, you know, friends, family, they didn't care which Kevin came back, they just cared that I woke up, and I was there with them. What was your first memory when you woke up from the coma? Bro, This is pretty funny. Uh, my first memory when I was in the hospital, uh, so for A, I thought I was in the basement of the hospital, and it was a, uh, a robot, a cleaning. So this hospital, very very advanced, they had a cleaning robot. So um, <laughs> my, my first memory, I see a cleaning robot, and I'm just like, that on my cinema, where, what is what's going on? Like, what's, like you know, <laughs> where am them, I? Yeah, where am I, and stuff like that? Like, literally, I had no, I've never, yeah, never didn't even know those things existed at that point. And, yeah, you know, they were there, and I yeah. saw a yeah. a robot cleaning my room. I like, what's going on? <laughs> Making a weird noise. It's like, <laughs> this is so weird. And I was like, this is, uh, this, it's crazy. That's like my, you know, but I felt like I was in a basement. I actually really wasn't in a basement or anything like that. Sure. But that was, you know, the first memory of uh, many in, that, in the hospital. And then, how many days recovery after that point, before you started showing enough signs for them to send you home? It was pretty, it was almost pretty instant. I was, I think I was healing quicker than they could uh, figure out what to do with me. So, and they were trying to get, they were trying to get me into inpatient therapy because they knew at a certain point I was going to pass, you know, these, you know, there's three tests. Um, But immediately, you know, I was speaking right away. Um, I was showing a bit of my personality right away, you know, between calling my my uh, aunt a loser, who I always <laughs> call her a loser, my aunt Sue, um, I was asking to stand up, I was trying to use my cell phone, I was trying to text people, they they recognized that things were different and I was asking to stand up and uh, on like the 13th day I, I stood up like in the, in the hospital for the first, for the first time and then and that's around the eighth day of the novena, on the is that eighth? right? Yeah. On the eighth day of novena, yes. And then on the ninth day of novena, I was officially transferred out of the ICU. So I was still in 24-hour care, but I was transferred to like a you know the transitory tra- ICU, but I was still technically under ICU, but it was like the less the less severe unit, you know. Yes. But I uh, always there's a funny story when I got moved up there. So my cousins, mm-hmm. at this point my cousin Beth was in, had flown in with her uh, daughter Lily. Um, and she comes in there and, I, and I, I knew who everybody was at this point there was no like I knew who every single person that was visiting me was and I knew everybody and I went up to her, so my, I had two roommates um, both older people and mm-hmm. they both didn't look like they were doing really good Right. so I, I go to my cousin and like this little chopped up voice and I go to her I'm like they, they bring me up here to die yeah. like, you know this yeah. you? and she goes no you, you're you're fine you're fine wow. man, you're good and you know, um, right from there, you know, at that point I was able to to lap do you know laps around the yeah, hallway. I was able to uh, shower myself, and you know, a few days later, you know, I The one thing I was holding back is I couldn't swallow. Once they once I was able to start swallowing food, that's when they put me through the three tests. I passed the physical test, and uh, the physical there the physical doctor who you know administered a test. I believe mean, her name was Beth also um when i completed the test so the test was like kind uh, was like a, was a two was a combo test so it's like i had to go through a obstacle course but she would when she put the obstacle course she would do all the movements before i would do it and it was a test to see if, if i could remember doing exactly every single movement she did and then i started to complete it and when i completed it she goes i've never seen that that's like she goes that's one of the million it's one of the million Wow. Uh, she told my mom, "I'm sorry, Mrs. Becker, but uh, your son passed his test and he's uh, he's ready to leave this hospital." Wow. And this is uh, pretty crazy.
0: Obviously, some cases, some people don't recover from injuries like this. But nope. in the small cases, they do. How long are they usually? How long, how long were you told they usually spend in the hospital?
1: Months, years. You know, it's. uh wow. Some people don't, don't get better. Some people, you know, if they do wake up, they're they're not really. There, you know, they're just yeah. in a vegetative state, you know. And it's so my parents were all, you know, everybody. My mom at that point, she was uh, a, mass, a math teacher at a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was ready to, you know, she was over at that point. She was she notified them of her leave. She didn't resign mm-hmm. officially, but like she was she, she was, was just, planning to be there a while. She was planning to be there for a while, and next thing you know, it, uh, I'm there for less than uh, a month, and wow, you know, nobody's ever. No doctors, you know. They said recoveries like this are possible, but to his magnitude, this quickly and to regain, you know, even regain all of his content abilities, be pretty much unheard of before. So,
0: you're able to go home. Yep. And at one point in between leaving the hospital and getting home, do you start to recall your interactions with? you know um, who you
1: referred to earlier as an angel. Um, I want to say maybe like the, ne- the next morning. And um, oddly enough, I think my mom, you know, my cousin wrote on the, the Frasati USA board, saying like, hey, we had intercession, you know, we believe we showed Frasati, and you know, we witnessed the miracle, and the Frasati board, you know, the supplies were if this is truly a miracle, it has to be made known through Kevin. So then later that, that night, my, you know, my mom, you know, started praying to God, he goes, please, you know, please let it be known, please let it be known. Next morning, you know, we do our walk around the block, you know, I start telling my mom, you know, the story about what we were doing, and then she shows me the picture, you know, she runs upstairs, as, um, I'm still telling my older brother mm-hmm. more about what we were doing. She comes down, you know, she, you know, she goes, Here's, you know, it won't hurt, so she shows me the picture, and next thing I know, I'm like, that's the son of a gun. That's the guy. That's the guy. That's so. That was thing. the guy that you yeah. heard downstairs, yeah, and you're when well, you're in the yeah, coma. Got a not, you know, no portrait was named Giorgio, and that's the guy. And he, and he
0: told you he was he was gonna be your roommate. He told me that he was my new roommate. And you obviously never seen this guy before in your life. No, so, never heard. No of recollection. Him. Had anyone ever shown you a picture of Giorgio Fasati or do you Paul anything no, before? No, I
1: and mean, you don't see him crazier is like when i moved so that picture was next to me when i was you know in the icu right I don't remember like don't no no even like, remember yeah, from the don't, icu don't even yeah. remember the icu and when i moved up to the other icu no, the picture didn't come with me like the mm. pictures i don't know what the heck happened like the, we have the picture right know, but the picture did not travel with me tonight, wow so i did not see him once whatsoever so wow. you can only imagine like when i saw the picture my whole Holy! Like, you no, know, yeah, scared for something like, What the heck? Is this, this is like, something you know, it was, it was something supernatural. Nat- super supernatural, but it was like, it was crazy. You know, like, at that point, that's at that moment, I kind of knew that there was something different going yeah. on. There. I had yeah. something going for me.
0: Yeah, and and what were interactions, interactions with him like in your,
1: in your coma? Oh, well, you know, um, we were doing you no know, housework. Um, you know, besides you no know, his first introduction, you know. Uh, when I walk down the stairs and meet him and I was saying hey hey, I have roommates already and he says they're you know, they're not with you. Um and I just go, Who you know, who are you? He says simply says to me, you know, I'm your new you know, my name is Giorgio, your new roommate. And, and you know, to me at that point, I don't know what what was to be honest with you Why like when I d- dive in, like when I start like certain things I can remember like like it just happened yesterday. Yeah. And I was still like I didn't you know kind of stayed calm, you know, I didn't really freak out, you know, I was kind of like, alright man, well, you know, I new name? you know, I introduced myself to him as yeah. Kevin, and next thing you know, it was kind of like, you know, we, our relationship started, and it was like, you know, it was like a working relationship, you know. Do you recall how he was dressed? Or, right? he, was, he was kind of, you know, dressed like me, you know, he yeah. was athlete, you know, he didn't, wasn't wearing, uh, you know, the funny, you know, the old 1920 outfits, sure. like he kind of upheld. he dressed himself like, you know and it was probably, really, probably for the best and it probably dressed really comfortable right. and stuff and it probably helped me from not, you know, really trying to break out of the house. Well, you know, it's interesting. Your mom
0: brought an image of a lady Guadalupe and she appeared to um, Juan Diego. She appeared in a, a tilma that was yeah. something that a woman would have worn at that time. So, um, Giorgio Fassati appears to you in... Yep. Clothes
1: that someone like yourself will be wearing at that time. It's probably for the you know, it's probably just to keep me going, you know. Yeah. Keep me comfort, you know, because that, at that point, you know, when you're in that world, you know, I can tell you, I, when I, when I woke up, when I was in the, uh my, like, you know, the world with Georgia, it literally felt like real, like real life. I didn't, it didn't feel like I was in like a dream or anything like that. Wow. So like when, eventually, when I did wake up, and then you know, as like the, some of the medicine that I was, you know, you know, I had, you know. Was, Slowly but surely being weaned off and stuff, getting back to the real world. I, like, you know, seeing that robot, I was like, "What the heck?" You know, still going. On? Like for a second, I was like, "I, do it. I think I was still asleep or anything like that." But there's a, uh, there's no, there's no final interaction. It wasn't like goodbye, Kevin, It was just right. more or less, next you know, I see a robot spinning my room. Right. That's like my first memory. Right. What,
0: um, at what point do you start to realize that? Is something you need to, that this is a story you need to tell. How long after you're into your recovery or after your recovery do you start to think about how you're going to
1: tell this story and what it means? Um, you know, I kind of felt like I needed to do something like immediately, but I just had I had no clue, so much. We, had no, we had no clue how to approach it, we had no clue what to say, what to do. Um, I mean, I think like the first time I actually told, you know, I, we literally, we, we literally sat in the story, you know, we didn't say anything, like, people knew of this story, you know, family knew of this story, friends knew of this story, um, we knew of the story, we just didn't know what to do with it, I think like, to be honest, I think like the first time I told people about like, being with an angel, was like, literally maybe a month after my head injury, I, one of my, like I was, after my head injury, so I was doing so well, like my, my brother and my dad would, you know, take me back to the school on the weekends, so I could hang out with my friends. I, I think I was telling my friends about this story almost immediately. Mm. So I knew like people asked me like, What did you see when you were in coma and stuff? And I literally just went you know, it was almost like I was preparing myself for a testimony that I had no clue that I was ever gonna get out there. And then, you know, I think it was God's will. I don't I didn't really you know, I wasn't really was actually more scared I think if I was gonna try and press this issue. I didn't want this to be a money making event. You know, I wanted this to be as natural as possible because the situation that I got myself into, get, falling off the roof, getting severely hurt, that was me, you know, I take control of me making, messing up. I yeah. messed up and God saved me. And I you know, I felt like it would be really, really selfish for me to try to monetize an event that the only reason why I'm here for is if God you know, didn't do this for me. So, Pope,
0: what were your friend's reactions when you are first telling the, uh, the
1: story? They, they they didn't they didn't know what to say. They couldn't you know, they couldn't believe it. You know, one of those like, you know, they took a step back and like you know, they're just like, Whoa, like this is like he remembers this stuff and, you know, you're talking you're know, you talk to a bunch, you know, college kids, they don't really yeah. have much faith and stuff like that, but like sure. you know, they're like, That's freaking crazy. You know, like everybody everybody you tell a story to is like it's freaking crazy and then like yeah. they and then like they see me healing quicker and stuff like that and they're like, This is you know you know, they're like, this is crazy. And like, even to this day, like, they always, you know, they always help, you know, they're always very, very, like, they always go, man, thank God that you're, you know, they'll, even if they don't even practice, they'll always say, thank God, you're still here. And it's like, well, you know, that's great. You know, it's pretty plain that You know, they're saying thank God, even though they don't practice, you know, they don't believe in God, but they'll say thank God. Because, you know, even if you don't practice, you know, and you say you're not a Catholic, deep down in your heart, you know there's a spot there, and you know, eventually God will guide you to that. That feeling, but you know, sometimes I don't, you know, I don't try to press, you know, I wish more you know, there's a way to push more people, but is there, you know, I don't want to like make my friends feel uncomfortable, you know, they know what I've been through, they, you know, but they're, they're all their reactions same way. What have been, have you had any other
0: interactions with people as you've gone through telling this story and now the story is being, well, your cure is being evaluated by the Vatican as a possible miracle and cause of for the canonization of here at Giorgio Frassati. Um, talk about miracles and the supernatural, and maybe other people that you've interacted with through this process that have also experienced miracles.
1: Well, um, believe there was. Uh, he actually just recently passed, uh, passed away about two years ago. His name was uh, Anthony Ferrara. Um, he, so he, he was the first person I know of. Um, he had um, severe, severe cancer, and he actually had two miracles, whether not, through the same source. So, and he was he had interception with Padre Pio, and you know from if I you know if I can remember exact you know the back you know the whole story itself, I just know that you know his first time you know, getting dying with cancer, you know praying to God, you know and all this stuff, and you know, you know he picked up Padre Pio like one day you know a guy, you know, picks up a random guy, you know, old gentleman in his car, the old gentleman, you know, touches him, and he says, like, you know, like, at that moment, he felt, like, extreme, like, you know, goosebumps and everything. Goes to the hospital, gets notified that he doesn't have cancer anymore. Wow. Uh, back, you know, back to normal. And that, you know, that was, like, as a run out of 10, the it's that's, like, the first person I've ever really spoken to that had, like, a, an extreme intercession. The other one that I the other, um, I mean, I've had a bunch of other ones. Uh, it's hard to like try to figure out what's this and what's that. The other sure. one, um, when I spoke in Houston about a year ago, two years ago, a young young girl came up to me, and um, she was uh, riding her you know skateboard without a helmet, and she had severely hit her the back of her head also, and um, she you know she had a little you know she had a little bit of a recovery, but she you know. Was like, back to normal. That was, you know, you know, that was about it. You know, not many, you know, you don't hear, you know, unfortunately, you don't hear many intercess, you know, you don't hear, more times now, you hear about more sessions maybe on the internet than you do, like, in person these days. Mm.
0: Yeah. Um, where does the cause for
1: canonization of here at Jojo stand today? Well, right now, we're, uh, we're sitting, we're sitting back and, uh, you know, we're, ho- we're hoping, we're hoping that, you know, the, the right thing happens. Um, the last year, I had to go, so they had killed my story, and then they it got brought back to the life by his uh, niece, uh, Wanda, and she, you know, she was unhappy because uh, Pope, you know, Pope Francis wanted to just canonize him without a saint, without a, a third miracle, which I would have been okay with. I was open, like I, you know, as long as the right thing happens, the, you know, like this is like somewhere that the church really needs. Yeah, um, wasn't you know, still wasn't canines. Uh, last year things really you know heat. I guess we say heated up, but, or more or less I like didn't. They needed more tests. So last year I went you know back to the doctors to get reevaluated, get my brain you know all the tests redone to see exactly where the heat. If there was any you know damage you know seven six years seven years down the road um got those tests back just like you know got the test back and got the results that we all knew was going to we were going to see uh you know prepare the results and um mailed them back to the vatican and right now they're at this point you know there's either sitting on it sitting on it they haven't looked at it yet or they're now over you know reviewing every single medical document and um whether you know whether they think this is a truly you know supernatural you know divine moment or they just don't think there's nothing you know records in there. Mm. But right now we're just we're playing a waiting game. Um
0: if you can speak briefly about here Giorgio Passati's life. He died at a very young age, yep. but the impact that he had um, as a young man, young Catholic man oh. and the type of faith that he had.
1: Well you know he he's one you know he's definitely one of a kind. Uh Born, you know, born to an agnostic family, parents that weren't really, you know, weren't up faith. Um At a young age, he already had like the calling. He wanted, to, you know, he was, you know, in elementary school was looking to go to church all the time, um, giving money away as much as possible. Um, and as he even grew up, you know, like there's, you know, a couple stories, you know, like where for graduation one year, you know, his dad offered him either a car or money. And he, you know, he didn't take the car, took the money. And what year is this now? With Georgia? Yes. Probably, you know, when he's like, 18, 19, around that age.
0: And this is in the early 20th century? 1920s. Okay. You
1: know, he takes the money and he starts using on the poor. He's a late, you know, third, you know, late Dominican, Same, you know, Vince DePaul. You know, he was always helping out the poor, you know, helping, you know, they needed medicine, getting, you know, acquiring that medicine for them. You know, and very active. You know, you know he would challenge his friends. You know, receiving the body, of, you know, body of Christ every single day. He had a huge, you know, huge devotion to Mary. Um, he, you know, he he did everything for God. You know, he kept God at the center. And you know, he, even at his, fi- his final days, you know, while he was struggling, you know, at the age of twenty four, his his grandmother was struggling. So mm-hmm. while his his grandmother was on her way to passing away. He was, you know, finding a way to walk over to pray over her, and then when he died, he had polio. And polio, yeah. which is probably he probably administered through one of the homeless people that he was helping out with. Mm-hmm. It shows you, know, a lot of you know, he took risks, but he didn't he didn't care. You know, he wanted yeah. to do it because he loved God and he loved the people that he was helping out with, and you know, he got the polio, and you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. he. You know, he passed away probably too early, but his uh, his memory lives on as he, as he's you know, still growing right now. Yeah. One of the great parts of his
0: story, I think, is that at such a young age, he was involved in all the different ways that you can be involved with the church. And today, a lot of people don't realize how many different ways that young men can get involved with the church. For instance, he was a third order Dominican. That's a calling for lay people and yeah. lay men who maybe are not called to the priesthood yeah. but are called to the married life or a yeah. single life to become third order dominicans or lay yeah. dominicans or third order carmelites or third order franciscans yeah. these are things that the church has in its wisdom given to the lay people that we don't hear about today yeah. we don't know about but nope. Giorgio Fassati was a third order dominican in, in his early
1: 20s yeah. yep. it's, it's crazy to think about it you yeah. do when you go online, you know, like, even like to me, like now, like when I look, when you go to look at like late Dominicans and Franciscan orders and stuff like that, you go online and it's pretty hard to find, you know. Yeah. It's pretty hard, you know. Um, I think it serves like the, the environment that unfortunately we're kind of dealing with right now. Yeah. And it's very, it's actually very easy to, to join these groups if you, if you just ask the question, but I think right now we're all, like at least my age group um, and the younger, we're all afraid to say that we're Catholics because there's so much bad. We're an easy target right now, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I'm an easy target. I'm mm-hmm. i an easy target because uh, there's so many people that are like, oh, you know, the, the med. You know, I could show a million kids, you know, that don't believe in God the same medical records and the other so that. No it's very, it's very easy at this point to say no. But I also do the that uh, Like that's why my calling is to speak. You know, I got, you know, God gave me this gift. God's guided me to speak. God's doing it. God's way and allowing me to kind of do it my way also because I'm not from day one I've never said to myself I'm just going to start telling people I need to speak I wanted it to be very natural and it's kind of like the the word of mouth you know just kind of like you know when, when crisis was coming around it was all word of mouth and there, the same thing with George there was like, a lot of the stuff that he did was word of mouth and right now it's still kind of you know word of mouth and you know when I go out there and speak you know my whole goal is just all I need is one, you know, two years. All I need is a year. You know, if I have one guy that believes, you know, loves my story, then that guy is going to tell two people, and then that guy is going to tell more people, and it's it's how right now where we're working. And I'm, you know, I'm not really afraid. You know, there's a lot of doubters out there, and I'm just going to keep on, you know, going through them like it's like it's nothing. You know, it's it's fun. And we need
0: young men with a faith like yours to be an inspiration, a witness, and a time of, like you mentioned, scandal yeah. and fear and confusion about what's yep. going on in the church, we need young men that witness to the faith and are unafraid to not just yep. live the faith, but speak the faith and proclaim it boldly, right. which is what you're doing for your ministry now. Yep. How can people reach out to you and find you and uh, perhaps
1: bring you to their parish or their school um, to come speak? Well, there's, I would say basically there's um, a few ways. Um, Hey, you can find me on I think you can find me on Facebook, right? I'm not I'm not private, you know you know, I think you can search Kevin and you can send me a message. Um you can also go to our YouTube my YouTube video, which is called a modern day miracle George Sadi. Um you can read you know say, Hey, we would like to speak, you know, we'd love to have you speak there and you know then you can start like the private into you know, conversations. Okay. And then you can also go to Versati USA and co- go to their contact page and contact them contact Christine Moros and she will also you know get in contact with me so there's a lot of ways to get in contact with me but um, at the same time I'm not you know you to be very careful with you know putting send out all of your personal okay. information out there okay. yeah but um there's ways to get in touch with me it's very you know in a technologically advanced world I'm not I'm not gonna say no to a Facebook message And you know, I don't think like when J I think Jason friended me first and then he, he messaged me so like and he said hey you know I I run this group, you know. I'm Be honored to have you speak, and I, I never say no. I'm not mm. gonna say no. I'm gonna say yes. If there's if there's traveling involved, all I ask for is you know, you can get all you need to do is just get me there. Yeah. And me, you know the rest, you know. When you're, you don't even need to worry about food. I will, I will buy my own food. If you can get me there, I will speak. Just give me dates, and I will you know arrange those dates, and that you know, that's where we are now. So it's great. It's great. Well, it's been wonderful to have you join us, and um,
0: we hope that you'll continue to share your story all over the world, and we hope that perhaps this interview will be shared all over the world, and whoever listens to it, will be inspired to learn more about dear Giorgio Frasati and develop a devotion to him. And if you could just close us some prayer and wrap up
1: our, our, our talk. Father, Son of the Holy Spirit, um, dear God, thank you for uh, having me here and having me uh, bless this um, faith now today with my story. And I just ask you that um, my recent loss of my aunt Christina, that you welcome her into your your kingdom because she had a huge devotion to you and a huge devotion to you, George Rosati. And I wish as we're moving forward that you give me the opportunity to continue sharing my story. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, thanks, Kevin. And thanks to anyone who's uh, listening to Kevin's story. We encourage you to continue to listen to our Faith and L podcast and uh, check us out on Facebook and Instagram. And um, we'll continue to have more great interviews like this with our upcoming speakers and some more special guests that we'll be talking to down the road. Um, God bless to all of you.